Welcome to Marketing Like a Mother, a podcast made for mumpreneurs by mumpreneurs. Each week we're diving into mum-approved business and marketing strategies to help you grow a profitable and family-friendly business. Today I'm your co-host, Michelle Bonvert. And I'm Olivia Radcliffe. And today we are tackling a big topic, but one I think that's really important to tackle, and that is rejection. Um, it's a tough one and it's something we have to deal with as business owners it's not my favorite i don't think it's olivia's favorite it's probably not anyone listening's favorite thing but we have a few lessons learned from the last few years in business for each of us and working together i think we've dug even deeper into some strategies on how to deal with it how to prepare ourselves for it and maybe even start to kind of embrace it maybe <laughs> yeah and, and beyond rejection as far as us receiving rejection, then there's also us quote unquote rejecting other things as well. You know, mm. our own unsubscribing from email lists, our own saying no to offers. So I think there's like two sides of the coin we can get into here. I like it. Well, which side should we start with? Should we start with maybe the rejection we feel? Because I feel like that's yes. the... That's the relatable one, I guess. That's, that's the big pain point. Because like you said, I don't know there's anyone that's like, yeah, rejection. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Fan. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think the maybe most obvious sources of rejection are during client situations, because it does feel more direct when you're working with someone one-on-one, -on -one. Um, having people say no when you are trying to sell them something um people giving you harsh criticism and feedback can feel like a rejection um or even projects having to part ways i think you know olivia and i've both been service providers at one point or another um olivia still does some amazing coaching um but i think those kind of are growing pains are part of the process of working with other people in a close kind of environment and I think kind of are unavoidable. I think we can mitigate it, but I don't know if we can avoid those fully. What's your experience been with more of that like one-on-one -on -one dynamic for rejection? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there are, yeah, I, I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of uh, service provider work, done for you work uh, with my solo business. And then I do a lot of kind of high ticket, or I have over the years done a lot of high ticket program kind of things and a membership. I've done it all. Okay. Multi-passionate. <laughs> We've established this. Um, <laughs> and when you're working with someone, you're talking with someone through that sales process and they say no to you. Um, it can feel very, very personal because it is something that, you know, our businesses are our babies a lot of the time. You know, we put our heart and our soul into building out these offers and especially when it's something that's like your work directly, mm. it feels like a rejection of you. And um, and as a narrow, spicy entrepreneur, it, there, it, it took a while for me to kind of get over that feeling of they're rejecting me. You know, I have mm. a history of abuse in my past and a lot of things that kind of led into that kind of natural feeling of it was me personally. And, but getting to that point in my businesses where understanding that it's not about me at all. Mm. It's about them and where they are in their journey. And there's an infinite number of reasons why someone may turn down an offer. You know, it could be that they, they just don't have the money right now. They 
are focusing on other things. They're holding their own boundaries with their time. They know they don't have time to focus on it. Um, maybe it is something where they don't like my voice or they don't <laughs> like how I teach. And that's totally okay because I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine because not everyone is my cup of tea and that's okay. And, but getting to that point of that's okay, that's, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> that's, that's all of it in a nutshell. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think I've not taken on one-on-one clients for a while, partially because of the rejection piece. I'll be honest and maybe a little vulnerable here, but I I can kind of get through the sales process okay because I'm maybe a little more clinical. I like following a script. My my spicy brain works that way. So the matchmaking piece of selling kind of worked for me a bit easier, but I really struggled and honestly do struggle still with getting critical feedback on something I've created especially if it's not been requested. <laughs> um, I'm a very process person. And I feel like when it's not presented in a way that my brain can latch onto that I can understand, I do tend to read even neutral comments as negative. Um, I have some rejection sensitivity dysphoria that kind of goes into that. Um, Olivia and my poor husband know a lot about that. Um, but I did find that the intimate nature of working with clients one-on-one -on -one just invites those conversations around creative work in particular that were really challenging for me to, to manage and really hard for me to remove the emotion from. Um, so I kind of, while I was still offering services, lent deeper and deeper into removing the custom elements of projects because that's where that kind of loose, open-ended stuff tended to fall and really dug deep into doing productized services so really like streamlined specific services that are repeatable it's very heavy on the process and the systems and there's less space there's less capacity for lots of feedback lots of input lots of back and forth because it's much more of a you buy the thing you get the thing kind of setup and that worked a lot better for me because I do like that exchange that sort of directness to an offer um, so that really helped me but I won't say that helped me resolve the rejection problem. I think I just created offers and containers that helped me manage it better. But I'm not saying that's the advice I'd give everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's an it's an interesting point you brought up, though, because, you know, there is I, I work with a lot of people on their their worth issues. Mm. And so that's kind of the, the key foundation to me is is getting to that point of of realizing that it's, it doesn't affect your worth. Your worth mm. is there. You are worthy. You are loved. You're awesome. Um, period, regardless of what others may say to you, but there is a place in there as well for holding, holding space for how you're feeling in the moment and creating containers that actually, um, you know, we're, we're always talking about creating offers and containers that actually enhance your strengths and, if you know rejection is like a really big, hard thing for you, then yeah, maybe working one-on-one -on -one with clients or doing service work isn't the best container for you. Maybe there's a way you can get around that and still work on your worth. And I know you, you know, you're awesome, Michelle. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> you are, you are. <laughs> I tell you that frequently and it will never stop. But, um, but there is a point of, of knowing how your brain works, how your mm. internal systems work as far as, as how that stuff goes and, and listening to that, I think. And maybe yeah. it's 
some people might feel like that's like giving up or catering to the feelings, but I don't think that's how it has to be. It's just about no. embracing your needs. Exactly. And it's like, we don't have to tackle all of our demons all at once. We don't need to try and work on every piece of ourselves at the same time. I think one of the big kind of pieces of being an adult and running our own business is we get to choose what battles we face when and which hard we want to take. And I'm not saying I didn't still have challenges in you know, creating those productized services and selling them and now moving into basically only selling digital products and courses. It's just a different hard and a hard that was much more palatable, more approachable for me because it wasn't facing some of those, I want to say demons, but like facing those things really head on. And I think it allowed me to protect some of the soft squishy bits so they can heal in their own time and work on other things that felt like they were more palatable <laughs> things to kind of tackle and deal with because being an entrepreneur is hard. We have to face a lot of things, especially early on, especially when we're solo. Like we have to be visible. We have to show up. We have to be consistent. We have to do things for other people when we don't want to and do them maybe in ways we don't want to. And it's really stretchy. It's really challenging. So sometimes I just the safest the most strategic thing we can do is listen when our bodies our brains are telling us like hey this is one step too far in a weird way I think that's the most impactful thing you can do yeah listening in um I, I'm all about listening to your intuition and what the next right step is for you so I I love that I can totally get behind that um you know I think one of the the, the easiest things to kind of get concerned about in business is mm. I, I work with a lot of people who talk about their messaging and mm. you know, the content they're putting out and feeling like I don't know what to say to people. I don't know how to talk. And that can be very hard to, to make yourself vulnerable and visible and have that fear of not being accepted for who you are as a person. And so a lot of times people will, especially very early in business, will start off with, how do I say things to please the masses? Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to offend people. I don't want people to unsubscribe from my email list. I don't want people to, to think I'm one way or another. Um, and I will say it often that the reality is, is when you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. And your marketing messaging at least gets really watered down if you're just trying to speak to everyone it's it's impossible to make everybody love you, mm -hmm. um, you there's always going to be someone who's going to believe the opposite of whatever it is you're saying and that's okay so you might as well just be yourself in the process and when you're yourself you are going to attract those clients who are are your ideal fit clients like your absolute dream clients who are a Super, you use the word dreamy with your clients <laughs> a lot. They're dreamy to work with. They're just like, they want to eat up everything you put out there. They're buying all of your offers one after the next after the next. And they appreciate the stuff you have to say. And that kind of engagement, I think, really helps build you up, builds up your confidence um, and helps you kind of show up more and more for your audience, as opposed to people who maybe aren't going to understand what you're saying, or aren't going to be in that same place. And it's going to be like pulling teeth to get them to make progress. And it's going to be mm -hmm. just super hard to work with them. And you're going to start dreading your business. So in the very beginning, if you start from a place of 
kind of understanding, embracing the fact that you're, you're not for everyone and that's okay because not everyone is for you. Um, I think ultimately that's going to set you up for more success with your business and with that feeling of being accepted and not continually rejected over and over again. Yeah. And I think the sort of a weird shift that I think we all go through as entrepreneurs, but particularly in the marketing kind of piece of the puzzle. And that's understanding that your marketing is as much about attracting the right people as it is repelling the wrong people. And that sounds really counterintuitive when we're trying to desperately get the next client, the next paycheck. But it's so important to get the right people into your containers, especially when they're paid, because they are the people who will go on to give you reviews, give you referrals, basically help you build this business into something more sustainable. And if we get the wrong people in, like you said, not only are they really taxing on you, but they can actively kind of damage your business. So I think it's kind of like a protective measure to be for some people and not for others and let the people who aren't a good fit know that they're in the wrong place so they can move on and find the right people there's no point in wasting someone's time um that's doing nobody any favors so I think just kind of adopting that mindset of you know I'm for some I'm not for others it's my job to help those people identify which camp they're in like it's not about selling it's about helping them identify if they're in the right place and if this is the right thing for them. Yeah. I think that's something we've added now to like all of our sales pages Mm -hmm. is who this is for and who this is not for. And we will be very direct. And, you know, I know you and I, Michelle, we are rather direct with our sales. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And and we will, I've gotten on sales calls with someone before and told them like, Hey, this is not a good fit for you right now. Like you're going to get really frustrated. You're going to get burned out. And guess what? You're going to turn back and be very frustrated at me because I'm not helping you get to that place you need to go, but I can't, like you're not there yet. Yeah. And And that's that's the sort of difference between being the person delivering the offer and the person selling the offer. The salesperson is like the concierge. We're helping people find the right fit. The, The person delivering it, the service provider has a whole different other role. We're wearing a different hat. And when we're in that sales space, we need to be looking out for the deliverer, the person actually doing the work. You know, I've been in coaching programs before where they've, they've taught quote unquote sales. Mm-hmm. And I have taken it as a what not to do when you're selling stuff. <laughs> oh, um, please share. <laughs> I mean, I was told in some of these programs, and if this is your jam, then this is your jam. You, you do you. Um, mm-hmm. But I was told that if if someone says no, they can't afford it, to tell them to split it between different credit cards, to tap into their 401k to pay for the program. Can you get another mortgage on your house to pay for my stuff? And I'm telling you right now, if you come to me and you say you can't afford my stuff, and but you'll go get a second mortgage on your house to do it, I'm going to be like, no, I do not <laughs> want that pressure. As, as your coach, as someone helping you, Mm-hmm. I don't want the pressure of, of having a second mortgage like on the line there. So um, I find that a very, very sleazy approach to sales. And um, no offense to anyone who does that. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of people who kind of teach for you to kind of help people get through their objections. And their objections for a reason. Like when we are buying things, 
there are times when we have objections that are really real and important mm -hmm. and maybe they need more explanation maybe they need more understanding that maybe like you're saying they're really real problems or it's not the right fit and they've realized or you've realized in that sales sort of conversation hey hang on this isn't the right fit and maybe putting up the it's too expensive or it's the wrong time is a safe way to say hey i've realized this is the wrong fit um and i think that that really needs to be honored and respected so yeah basically i think in sales in particular rejection is part of it because we can't get it right 100% of the time we can't be for everybody we can't be a perfect match in every sales conversation and that's to be expected that's normal and i think that's a good thing because it means you've got your messaging figured out it means you've got you know boundaries in place boundaries like my my favorite thing in the world um but i think it means that you're doing it right <laughs> so hopefully that little reframe helps a little bit with the sting of things not going quite according to plan in sales um let's move on to kind of the marketing piece because we touched a little bit on visibility which i think is something a lot of people struggle with with that rejection piece um particularly like showing up on lives and videos showing yourself in like bigger arenas in more vulnerable feeling ways to market your business i have a lot of feelings about this i know you have some feelings about this but let's kind of dig into what typically comes up and then i think some personal stories and personal anecdotes could be really helpful here too yeah i mean i in my mind marketing and visibility yeah they're all hand in hand your messaging marketing sales visibility everything kind of leads one into another and for me it's very much i i go back before that i look at okay why are you feeling uncomfortable with this? Like what happened to make you feel like you can't be seen or your voice can't be heard or your voice doesn't matter, your opinions don't matter. And um, so for me, it's very much looking at kind of tapping into your inner toddler and just asking <laughs> why over and over again. So if you're having trouble showing up um, in your marketing or feeling easy, authentic marketing, um, then is asking yourself, okay, why does that feel so hard? And why do I care about that? And why do I care about that? And just keep going down the line until you can kind of get to that, that very granular little bit that is the catalyst for all of these feelings and then working on healing that. And then everything kind of um, just kind of falls in place from there. It's like setting up dominoes and just watching them go. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think the, the visibility piece in particular, the showing up at, like as a representative of your business, as your business in ways that maybe we haven't previously when we weren't a business owner mm -hmm. is a really tricky shift. As someone who didn't use social media, didn't have any social media accounts until I started my business and was told I needed them. I found that transition really challenging and I know I'm not the only person out there. And I think there is kind of, uh, an important process to go through when you're starting out, even when you're further into the business sort of world, is figuring out what is okay to share, what isn't okay to share. Basically, where are your boundaries? What's part of the business and business messaging and your sales messaging? What things are okay to share publicly and what things you want to keep private and feel really good about drawing that line? Like Olivia was saying, sometimes those things are just mindset stuff that needs to be worked through like 
it could be you hate your hair and you have to do certain things like maybe that's a mindset thing but if you for example don't want to show your kids that's a line you can draw and really be intentional about maintaining it's really about I think what other people are saying beautifully is like why is it a thing that you're feeling resistance against and I think either deciding to work on it or honor it is how you can kind of shift through it and you know we all have lines particularly you know Olivia and I do a lot of public speaking where we speak on lots of summits on podcasts and showing up that way can feel really vulnerable if you're not that used to being on video but one of my little things is like the big kernel for me of visibility was being seen by like my immediate family doing this stuff I really didn't like the mixing of worlds and just found ways to like exclude them from it or not have them be aware of some of it and that's made it feel so much easier to show up showing up for like the rest of the world that's fine showing up for like my mom and dad <laughs> that's another issue <laughs> so I think it's like figuring out the core of what the resistance is about and either working on it or deciding to kind of protect yourself protect what's important what's key there so that you feel really good as you show up because you need to feel good especially if you're doing visibility things like it shows when you're uncomfortable so it is really important to work through that stuff and I, I think you kind of knit the hit that knit the hail hit the nail hit that hail hit that hail hit the nail on the head with that because it's there's so many people who are teaching different marketing and business strategies and they're very much um everything seems very framework driven right now mm. follow this framework and you will get results and while i totally love me a framework and i think they're awesome um there's a lot of people who fall in that and say well that makes me uncomfortable i'm gonna do it because you told me to do it and now mm -hmm. i'm feeling all sorts of weird icky and people are not liking it because i'm feeling weird and icky about it and like i'm not it's 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 not feeling good it's just feeling bad it's blowing up in my face and I think when you can kind of tap into how you want to do things, if mm -hmm. you don't want to show your kids on social, if you do want to show your kids on social, if you don't want to go live, if you do want to go live, if you can tap into how you want to do things and make those frameworks kind of shift and adjust to how, how you need to show up for your own personal strengths, weaknesses, your schedule constraints, everything, mm -hmm. then that will help empower you to... Um, to show up authentically and to be that person who builds the, that natural rapport with your audience and not take the rejection so hard a lot of times. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think a lot of it is just figuring out what's going to work for you. And I think there is a time where we need to push through some discomfort because it's not natural for a lot of us who weren't entrepreneurs from birth. Like it's not natural to do a lot of this stuff. I personally am not a a sharer like I wasn't that kid who would run to my mom and show her the piece of like art I did or whatever I just don't have that instinct I think that's part of the way my your spicy brain works like I don't have those instincts and to an extent I've learned systems to help me do that but at another level like I'm just never going to be that person and it's okay that I'm not going to be that person but instead of trying to shove myself into acts that feel really unnatural and make me show up really weird you know just sort of understanding that line of like okay this doesn't work for me how about something else and I think in the same breath of when we show up with less fear of rejection we show up better but also finding the ways to show up the ways to do things like the method is as important to reducing the like the chances of rejection because you are in easier things you're fitting your like 
your marketing, your sales, your offers, everything into a sort of process of framework, a way of doing things that works better for you. And by nature, like it works better because it's better for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and there's always some level of like pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Like you said, you get into business, maybe you're doing things that like you totally wouldn't ever think of doing just as your normal, you know, everyday self. Um, and so it's, it's that fine line between how do you expand and push those comfort zones and grow into bigger levels. You up level a little bit, get bigger comfort zones. Um, and how do you know what's like an absolute, no, you hate it. Don't do it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so there is a very real level, I think of tapping in with yourself and trying to understand, trying to understand what you need and where you're coming from. Yeah. So you touched on earlier and I want to circle back to it because I think it is a big, big, big topic that doesn't get enough maybe attention. And that is the whole email subscriber unsubscriber thing. And I feel like it ties into some of the stuff we've mentioned before about boundaries, my, my favorite word, boundaries. Um, but I would love to kind of dig a bit deeper into not just how we cope with people unsubscribing for our email lists, but maybe also share some thoughts behind our process of removing ourselves intentionally from other people's marketing and maybe sharing those two sides kind of side by side helps take some of the sting out of the rejection of having people unsubscribe from your list. Yeah, and it, it is something because if you're in business and you're having people say no to you, chances are you have been sold to and you've had to say no to someone else or you have unsubscribed from someone else's list. And so it actually is something where you can stop and take a take a look at what you're doing and say, am I doing that because it's personal, because I hate the person, because they're horrible and I want nothing to do with them? Or is it something that it wasn't the right fit for you at that time? And look at your reasons. And that can also help you feel a little bit better, I think, about, about being, being rejected, quote unquote. Mm. Um, but that being said, it can also be really hard to be in this place and, and actually saying no to someone or unsubscribing from someone's list. Yeah. I know I am on a whole bunch of different people's lists because I, you know, I work with business owners. That's, that is my audience. And so I have a lot of clients where I'm on their list um, to see what they're doing and, and to kind of keep tabs on such, but it's really, it gets really hard once they're not my clients anymore. And it's, well, I don't know that I want to still be on these lists. I don't want to offend them by getting off their lists because I don't want to make them feel that big rejection sensitivity. So how do you handle that? And um, I've gotten a lot better lately at just unsubscribing, mm. at just being like, look, I'm actually hurting them by staying on their list because A, they're paying for me to be on their list and I'm not going to buy anything from them right now. And B, I'm not opening every single one of their emails. So it's hurting. It's actually hurting their deliverability rates because it's, it, I'm not, I'm contributing to their, their poor open rates or something like that. So, yeah, I think that that's a really helpful piece. And I like to latch onto it because I think it's something maybe we're not made aware enough of when we start email marketing. And that is that we don't just want to collect a random list of names and email addresses. The goal here is to collect a group of people who are likely wanting to buy something you have for sale. We're not here to just nurture them and hope one day they might find their way to your sales page. We're not here to just collect the vanity metrics of however many hundreds, thousands of people you've got on that list. The point is for them to opt in because they're curious about what you have to sell, 
learn a bit about you, learn a bit about your offers, and then decide if they want to buy or not. Like that is what email marketing is for. And as you said beautifully, like it doesn't do them a service. It does them a disservice actively to stick on a list if it's not something you actually want to buy and for people to do the same to you. Um, as part of a healthy email list, a healthy email marketing strategy, we should be cleaning our email list. We should be looking at all the people who haven't opened our emails in the last 60, 90 days and either just removing them from the list because 90 days is a long time to have not opened even one email. That's not someone who's that engaged, who's that actively interested in what you're selling. And those people are very, very unlikely to decide suddenly on day 91 to turn around and buy something from you. But as you said, it's also really affecting your deliverability rate, which means that basically when uh, your emails are going out, Google or Hotmail or Yahoo or whoever you've got your emails with sees kind of the, the quality of the emails that you send out. So like, like another movement's emails go out. And if Google has seen, you know, hey, a lot of people are on that like a mother list, but only a handful of people are even opening them and almost nobody's clicking anything. They're not going to prioritize those emails to A, get delivered at all, but B, land in that primary tab and not in your promotions tab or even in spam. They're just not going to put the effort into getting those emails to those people on your list. So by really being careful and like taking care of your list, by cleaning it, by being engaged, by actively selling to your list, you're actually improving the overall health of that business asset you have and teaching and training Google, Gmail, all those people that your emails are something people want. So it's really like doing you a service when people remove themselves and you're doing other people a service when you remove yourself because that's literally how it works. <laughs> There's no point in keeping around on lists that aren't serving you. So that is my tirade over. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good, it's a very good soapbox to get on, I think. Mm. Because, like you said, I think a lot of us are not taught this. We're not made aware yeah. of this. We see it as, well, how many are on your list? Like you have yeah. to grow a big list and that's all that's important is the number of people on your list. And so then it can feel really, really bad and personal when people unsubscribe. Like, oh my gosh, they, they don't like what I have to say and they don't like me. And, um, but for every person who unsubscribes from your list, every person who says no to your sale, every person who is kind of removes themselves from your world, mm -hmm. they are opening a place for someone who is your ideal client, who is going to yeah. open that email and click through and buy it. Um, I will say I just did a, a cold scrub on my list. Was it last week or something? Mm -hmm. um, and I lost 300 people and was like, and initially that's like, oh, yeah, oh, I don't, don't want to <laughs> lose those people that worked. I worked hard for that, but the reality is, is that was barely. It was. It was just. It was nothing. It was a drop mm -hmm. in the hat, and it was something that now emails being delivered are being opened by a lot more people. You know that that open rates going up, and um, it's just setting you up for more success. So, yeah, I feel like that's ultimately to tie this all in a lovely little bow. I feel like that's ultimately the whole point of everything we've talked about in terms of taking in rejection, finding ways to work through the stuff that you feel is like a rejecting thing, decide what those boundaries are and decide what's worth working through and then like set yourself up to feel the sting less 
Um, and I think a lot of it's mindset, a lot of it's strategy, a lot of it is just like finding boundaries to help support and surround yourself in a way that feels good enough, safe enough to keep going. Because ultimately, your business isn't made in one email, it isn't made by one subscriber, it isn't made by one sales call, it isn't made even by like one collaboration. It's cumulative, all of it. So we need to take care of the people behind the business, the human actually doing this. And I think, yes, we're going to feel rejection. Yes, it's going to hurt. But how can we make it hurt a little bit less? And I, I hope some of the stuff we've shared today will, will help you feel a little less of the sting. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on Marketing Like a Mother. If you found value in the show today and want to support some fellow mompreneurs, we really appreciate a rating and telling a business friend about the show. We are going to be back next week with more marketing tips for busy moms with businesses. Until then, take care.